is mm-hmm. we on. Hey, everybody, it is Kyrie Wigginton, and we are back with another fabulous episode of Too Much Woman for This World because we are fat, fine, fabulous, funky, flared up, flossing, and all the other S you could think of. Um, we have a special guest today, my homegirl, Joyce Lee. Joyce Lee, tell the people who you are and what you do. What do I do? I'm a writer. I'm a storyteller. I try to help people with their writing. Um, I'm a performer. Yeah, I'm an educator. I'm a lot of things. Mostly things that have to do with writing and speaking. Word. <laughs> Word. Word. Uh, so our, our episode tonight is going to be, um, I, I titled it, I Write What I See. And I was I did it that way because you're a writer and I was really curious in how your perception of yourself, the world and yourself in the world um, is reflected in your in your writing. Um, and maybe like what came first, the chicken or the egg? My, I, the chicken being my perception or, or what? Or the, like, yeah, I guess the egg is, is, is your writing Maybe the, the chicken is maybe the chicken is your perception and the egg is your writing. I think the writing came first before oh. I could really before I could really understand anything I was writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the writing came first and I knew I loved um, I don't know if I loved the expression of writing. Mm-hmm. But I love the uh, catharsis. I love the release in it. How did you start writing? Um, I, I just remember, well, my mother was really strict on us about um, pronunciation, mm-hmm. pronunciation, mm-hmm. and uh, like the actual writing, like our handwriting. Back mm-hmm. in the day when your handwriting man. You know, we used to spend all day saying this how I'm gonna sign my blah 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 when I'm famous. You know, um, no, but my my mom would make us, well, me in particular, sit in a room and rewrite things um over and over again until it was perfected. Mm-hmm. So that's how writing started, <laughs> literally. Um, but as far um, I just I ended up um, using it to to digest things, to process even that, even that the relationship between me and my mother, the 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 um, the force, the punishment. It I used it to process the punishment. I heard that. I always tell people I, um, that I started writing. I really started writing because I wanted to write love songs. I wanted to be a songwriter, a singer-songwriter. But writing songs seemed like it, it just felt harder. And I ended up writing poetry. Poetry just seemed easier and looser and maybe more accessible to me for whatever reason. Um, but I tell people I wrote as a way of saving my life. Um, I tell them that uh, Nikki Giovanni, Maya Angelou, and um, and Langston Hughes saved my life, like literally. 
Like I found uh, escape in their words. I use a lot of their work to mimic, like, you know, I would mimic their writing. Um, I take a, take a Lincoln and Hughes poem and put my words in his, in his style mm-hmm. um, until I found my own voice. Like I would do that a lot. Um, but it also writing I found is my way of understanding and processing the world around me. The things that I'm like mulling over, I'm, I, I need to talk about, I got to figure out, like I find writing to be that place for me as well. Mm. Okay. How did you move into the perception of you and the world? Like, what was that process like? Do you remember? I'm still moving into that perception. I mean, it's still a process. I'm still in the world, yet changing. Um, you get on my nerves. <laughs> Why? Why do I get on your nerves, Kyrie? She? Um, I don't know. Let's see the process of me. I mean, it wasn't my world. Like I, I, in writing as a child, I was writing about the world around me, which is my family, mm-hmm. or um blackness itself or women themselves like it's like the world literally that it's like all these worlds that I have to deal with that aren't necessarily mine but you're in or a part of that I'm in and I'm a part of them Mm -hmm. but they're not mine Mm -hmm. um not all of them Mm -hmm. I think now I'm able to write about my world Mm-hmm. because I've created one mm-hmm, mm-hmm. apart from all the worlds around me mm-hmm. but growing up I was constantly writing about these worlds around me no that I makes- didn't have I didn't have a world of my own mm-hmm. yet it's so interesting too because you know uh with young people and it makes sense that we find that so many of us find uh, a safe haven in writing right because uh as you're saying, like, they weren't your world, but you're in it, there's a way that, like, young people have to deal with the choices and the things that adults are doing all the time, right? And adults have um, this interesting way of being like, our voice doesn't matter, but it, it totally disregards that, the fact that, like, their things have direct impacts on us. Your relationships yeah. with whoever you're in, romantic with, uh, whether you have a job or not, uh, whether you're angry, worries, whether you're, simple worries. Yes. All of that, all of that kids are ingesting and have direct impacts, but have very little say, if any, about what's going on around them, what's happening at school, what's happening on the walks home or whatever, whatever it is, we're just constantly having to deal with. So that makes sense. And it also teaches us how to deal like like seeing my mother worried, but not talking, constantly cleaning, constantly trying to fix what she could fix, mm-hmm. but not talking about it. Um, like it normalized me going inward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it, it normalized like me just being kind of a observer instead of a participant in what's happening to me. Mm-hmm. Life is happening to you instead of yes. you happening to it. Yeah, I, uh, as you were talking, I was thinking of, you know, Maida, Maida Del Valle has a poem called Mama's Making Mambo or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And she talks about like the way the women in her family handle issues and 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 the way we cook and the way we like make things sweet and take care of family and cry in bathrooms and like you do all of that which allows you to keep um keep moving on because there's really no space for women uh women of color especially black women to um there's you know we're usually taking care of people and things Mm -hmm. instead of being Mm -hmm. taken care of um and we have to figure it out the best we can because if we stop, then everything stops, right? Well, and then we have to identify what care looks like, even mm. though we've never been taken care of. Mm. We have to identify what is what's what what does this caring unit look like for me? Um and 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 like in partnership and just and like choosing who who to be around and who not to be around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's very true. Um, I even think about like uh, I've been thinking about this idea lately. So I always talk about like black folks as like the uh, survivors, right? Like we are we are African Americans specifically are the the we are the um, surviving fruit, the the strongest fruit, right? We are the children of the surviving fruit or the survivors. We are we are, are immensely strong. Um, many other groups wouldn't have been able to endure what we've been able to endure and still be here and still fight and still be vibrant and dance and sing and tell stories and figure out ways uh, to claim joy, right? Um, and I, I take a lot of pride in that. And I've been thinking a lot lately about the gaps in our soul and the spaces in us that you have to kind of like, what what are the parts that you have to like scoop out? What are the parts that you have to like tuck in, hide in, like when you're talking about your mom and you're going inward, what are the ways that you have to kind of vanish in yourself to be able to survive? That that survival comes at a cost, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, 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 um, and we're here but at what cost are we here, right? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there are so many pieces of voice, of story, of actual body, of mind that are gone, mm-hmm. that we've lost, forgotten, had to detach from in order to, to make it. Um, and similarly, you know, my mother was mentally ill. She um, was bipolar, probably had some other issues too, but primarily she was bipolar. And I think like my mom, so taking that same concept, I was thinking the other day, you know, my mother uh, had stomach cancer mm-hmm. and they told her she wasn't going to live the, the year out, right? Um, they gave her six months to live, but she survived 26 more years, right? And while she survived 26 more years, at what cost? So I think in a lot of ways, her ability to survive was uh, rested on the fact that she could go inside her mind to deal with the pain, to deal with the reality, to deal with like what it meant for her body to not be her body anymore. And just all like, like, what did she have to endure? What did she have to do to endure stomach cancer and be able to survive? And I think mental illness is similar for women. It's how black people like have had to exist, right? Like Mm. that's how she's, that's how I think my mother was able to survive. And I'm curious if that's similar for other women, other black women? I don't know. I mean, you know, bipolar is, is harder 
um, in many ways. And the, I, like if someone is bipolar and they're not medicated, it's easier to detect nowadays than just plain old depression or mm -hmm. plain old anxiety. Mm -hmm. So if, if, that, if that bipolar family member has like help, um, uh, like real help, they can get the help they need also. In my family, I like the the illnesses aren't as blatant enough to study. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's it's completely normalized, <laughs> and you know, um, it's completely hierarchical. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like you know that people are dealing with anxiety and depression um but nobody talks about it like i i so i can't i don't even know how they're dealing with it i don't know what parts of themselves that they're going into we we haven't even nobody talks about it mm -hmm. so i have no idea no, and you know, I think my mom was a, um, even in my family was unique. I think way more people in my family deal with mental illness. I think way more black people deal with mental illness because again, like what, what have we had to do in order to be here, right? Oh God, <laughs> I don't think any, I think all black people need therapy. I think if we're gonna get any kind of reparations that therapy should be included. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so, like I think uh, my mom was a psych nurse, and um, and her ref her uh, understanding of mental health was different. Um, but th that's not to say that that's my family's take, right? Like you know, my grandmother didn't. I, <laughs> I used to fight with her, and I'd be like, I wish you would just go to third therapist with her, so you could understand. Don't know, don't nobody know nothing about my daughter but me. Whatever, whatever, right? And it wasn't until maybe a couple months after my mom passed, and my grandmother was like reading her work and was like, wow, I get it now. I'm sorry. Um, but I think that we, we are used to people coping with food, with drugs, use mm. with, you know what I mean? Like checking out, like, I mean, same as everybody else mm -hmm. in the country, same yeah. as everybody, but they, but they, they have less to, well, many have less to cope with. I mean, we're, we're coping with old traumas, uh, blood traumas yeah, and yeah. daily and daily traumas. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they probably just came Race from a fucked up family. They, yeah, all the traumas. Yeah. And they just probably came from a fucked up family. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So it's a little bit different, but people use the same vices. I mean, we all use the same vices to cope mm -hmm. down to religion. Facts. But that's one. So my point is, I think, uh, you know, my mom, I don't know that uh, people in my family uh, are pro mental illness because most of them didn't even mm. her like that or understand hers but um she had a different take on it which is why she was a little more um open but i think that a lot of people in my family a lot of the women in my family for sure i think suffer from mental illness and degrees of it mine too mine too i talk about mine openly i mean people already think i'm crazy anyway so it really don't make no difference <laughs> my writing is public therapy <laughs> How about that? uh what about um 
What about uh, your body? What is the story of your body? I don't know. It's here. <laughs> what is the story of your body, Joyce? I mean, it's here. It's worked, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think my mind has definitely been worked more than my body, my mind and my emotions. Um, my body hasn't taken half of what it could take. Mm -hmm. Like I look at parts of me and then I look at parts of women my age and like I still have extremely soft skin and like, I'm just like, yeah, my body has not been through. I've taken, I've spoiled my body. I haven't just taken care of it. I've spoiled it. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, my mind and my, and my emotions. Oh my God. Feel ancient. Feel ancient. What, oh, um, when, when, when you, when you were growing up, what was your relationship to your body though? And as you've gotten older? Uh, the same. My relationship with my body is, my mind is a dictator. Get up, go, push, keep going. How do you so that you can rest? I don't even think about it. I mean, what do you mean? I don't think about your body. You I don't think of a big girl. Huh? You, you consider yourself a big girl, right? Absolutely. So what absolutely. Is, tell me about that. Um, you're so in your head. Am I? You're like real in, um, cerebral right now. I'm thinking. I'm really thinking. Okay. So, I mean, I think I have a regular big girl story. See, it's debatable because I have friends who say, you're not big. They look at me and they say, I'm not big. But I've always been the biggest. Um, in your family. In my family, mm -hmm. in, a, in, a, in a house of women, I've always been the biggest and not just the biggest like, oh, you're big, but like big, like help your uncle pick up that couch. You're close to God. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I feel exactly. So big, like go beat up that bully or like big like that. So, mm -hmm. um, and none... I wrestled with clothes. I mean, of course, not knowing back then that, well, I mean, there were no big girl stores growing up, first of all. Mm -hmm. They're um, so lucky today. Oh, my, they're rotten. They are rotten. Had there been a torrent when I was in junior high, it would have been a wrap. <laughs> Listen, I, my whole wardrobe is torrent right now. Why are you playing? <laughs> I am so serious. So, I mean, so it's either, you know, and I'm not just big, I'm tall. Mm -hmm. Most people expect someone my size to be short. Um, so it's like, oh, I'm always dealing with shit that don't fit. I hate going to malls. I hate them. I hate them. <laughs> I don't want to, I hate trying things on. Like that is, that's. I resonate more with that experience than I do with what my sister's experience and love of shopping is. I, I don't have that, but I know some big girls who do love to shop. 
and I give them my money so they could shop for me. <coughs> Listen, <laughs> my friends, I will go to the store, right? I don't do too much anymore now. I would much rather just order it online because um, I know what I like. I know what size I want. Um, but I will go to the store and they'd be like, you're not going to try that on? No. I hate trying on clothes. Like my memories of being a girl were in going shopping with my mom and my grandma and being stuck for the majority of the time in the, the dressing room. Sweating. Huh? Sweating. Sweating. And then bringing me clothes after clothes after clothes to try on. Hell. Hell. And shopping was not like that wasn't, it was like you missed the, the, the fun. Like whatever fun people got out of shopping, like <laughs> I, I wasn't a participant in that because I just had to stay back there and not be social and, um, and try on shit. <laughs> My 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 girl Brooke Blaze, she dresses me. She's a big girl, and she loves dressing sexy. Mm-hmm. And so I'll give Brooke my money, and I'll be like, "Go!" And sometimes I'll fight her on stuff like that's too sexy, and she's like, "Why don't you just come out your shell? What Why don't you sexy? just huh? What is too sexy? What does that even mean, honey? Ha- ha- do you know who Brooke is?" I don't know, maybe. But what is too sexy? Like, what does that mean? Your titty about Honey, it might. And Brooke is going to be standing there smiling with her titty almost about to fall out, still looking cute. That's her. Like, she just, she's all about, like, showing it all off. Like, big girl showing it off. Show off that thigh. Show off all of it. And I, you know me. You know I'm a little rigid. <laughs> It's fake though. Like it, it I, I, I guess it's very Leo of you. It's interesting because even though Leos are fire signs, I feel like you guys, maybe it's because you all are stuck between cancer and Virgo. Like there's like some prudishness there too. It's really interesting. I have Pisces and Scorpio. Well, Scorpio's a horse, so I don't understand that. Um, <laughs> but but when I look at you, like I feel like you're like this smoldering fire. Like you're waiting to go. Rrr. But you're just <laughs> right. No, no. It depends on what's in front of me. It depends on what's it depends on what's in front of me. I feel like it's a facade. I like I okay. guess, or not. I guess facade is not the right word, right? Because I don't think you're putting on. But it's like this duality. It's like a dual spirit because there's very much this like ooh wee like definitely and then there's like no wait I didn't, I didn't no <laughs> definitely definitely but those are only boundaries I put on myself like I don't you know I don't give a damn how other people get down it's just certain things I put on myself no I at don't. the moment at the moment it depends it depends on the moment mm-hmm. and what's in front of me. I think there's a million, well, not a million, but many sides to many people, you know? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, what is your favorite thing about your body? Hmm. It's resilient. How does that show up? Oh. All the time, like um, I heal quickly. I don't get, I don't stay sick long. Mm-hmm. White blood cells, you know, um, nothing feels weak, um, even though it should. Um, it's resilient, like it's supportive. 
So very literal. It's resilient. Yeah. Like I kind of have this whole like servant relationship with my body. Like you're just going to do what I want you to do. That's yeah, a servant relationship. And for <laughs> real, get up, go, do this. Do get up, go, do this. It, okay, if you do this, you can rest. So That's serious. really. I'm dead serious. Like, I, I mean, do, do I do I love my body? Sure, I do. I feel blessed to be in this body. Absolutely. What the relationship? Huh? What do you hate about it? I don't hate anything about my body. What is challenging? Um, I wish I were more solid. You're jiggling. Yeah. Jiggling, baby. Go ahead. You know, I just wish like my arms were more solid. You know, that's it. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) have you ever, what, how do you feel about your belly? I don't think it likes me. Why? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I like my belly. I'm going to tell you why. Because it's literally the last place on my body that rats me out. Like these thighs will rat me out before my belly will. So my belly's like, no, I'm going to stay faithful. Um, It's been the same most of my life. Huh? As it's your funny, you're hella funny. I'm serious. It's been the same most of my life. So I'm okay with it. But then I don't want to show it off to people. Because it's not small. When you are making love, have you ever had the person you're making love to grab your stomach and go? "Mm." No. Never. No. You've never had that experience. No, and I wouldn't like it. Ah, but you would like it. Not maybe not at <laughs> like maybe at first it would catch you off guard, right? Like I <laughs> but you would like it. I like <laughs> like I guess it's, it's a really odd experience, but I'll tell you the story. I was uh dealing with this dude who I used to mess with in high school and we rekindled and um, I, I saw him, uh, he came out here and we hung out and went, and I was like, oh, like, I wish I was a little, I was feeling so bad. And I was like, I, I wish he would come after my fast and I just need to lose weight and like, ugh, right. I was doing this whole dance about um, my body. And I was like, ugh. Um, in particular, my stomach, I just felt like it was so big. And I was like, I just wish he would come in like a, a month or two so that I could, I don't know. I don't know what I thought was going to happen in like a month with this stomach. I was just going to feel better. Right. But I was like, whatever, I'm gonna bite the bullet. Fuck it. Um, <laughs> let me go get him. So I go pick him up and he's like, Oh, like he's looking at me. Like I'm his fave. Like it's the Willy Wonka, like I'm Willy Wonka's chocolate factory and he's Charlie. Like that's how he's looking at me. Right. Like He's um, grabbing on my legs. He's grabbing on my back. And we're in the car, right? I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, and I'm feeling like <laughs> I look gross. <laughs> this is disgusting. And for him, it's like a delicatessen. Like, I'm telling you, like, um, what's Gustavo, whatever, whatever the fat kid was and Willy Wonka, like he's like that. He's like, just wanting to eat me up. And then when we actually go to have sex, he like, 
he like stops and he like grabs my stomach like mm. <laughs> it's happened to me a bunch <laughs> but it makes well, you i mean everything i mean you seem way more free-spirited than i am you know you don't have i mean the all the rules i have for myself and you know we're friends so all the rules i have for myself you look at me half the time like i've lost my whole ass mind so but I still eat whatever that is. I still am not like, um, ooh, grab my belly, <laughs> free spirited or not. <laughs> but you liked it. Um, I don't know if I like it, right? I think what it does is it make me step out of my own head and perception of what it looked like, what it was like, whether it was the judgment I had on it um, and got to see, cause I was projecting onto him what I thought it was. Right. And it made me step back and say, Oh, wait, like not only is his perception of, of what is beautiful, what is sexy, what that is different than mine. But I think men and women, like, you know, like it's different for us. And I think a lot of times women are doing things because we think that men think that this is beautiful yeah. or not or whatever. And when I talk to guys, like it reminded me like, oh, wait, like those things don't necessarily line up. And I'm feeling like my stomach is gross. And he's like, it's perfect. Let me lay on it. And I don't know that that's about me being free, I think. I mean, I don't think any part of my body is gross. I, I don't have a dis. I don't have a dislike or a dis like there's nothing that I would be like, ew. It's just um I don't know. I really look at it like like a bicycle. Mm. Like a bicycle. Like literally, like, yes, it's a tool. Like I look at my body like a tool, like you're going to get me where I want to go. You're crazy. Why? <laughs> is that wrong? I don't think it's wrong. I think um, you want to know what I really think? Yes. I think it's safe. Like I think that being cerebral, and much like uh, when we were talking about your mom teaching you how to observe and go in, um, and not be a participant, uh, there's safety in that, right? And I think. Yeah. Hmm, Similarly, being here instead of being in here is safe because then you don't have to hold wounds. It's protective, right? Like, uh, yeah. so you don't have to hold wounds or experiences or feelings in the same way. You get to be like, it's helpful. I mean, I, I can understand like as somebody who has been big her whole life um, and who has taken a lot of hits around my body and my weight. Um, and can still continue to do so. Um, I think that it's safe to you, what what you have been able to do to me would allow you to not have the same kind of scars that I do. Because mm -hmm. it's just a tool. Like oh, like so. Then my relationship to it, like I'm detached. My relationship to it. It's like what we were talking about in the beginning, right? Like I'm detached. <clears throat> my relationship to it is not. It's a function. So then it doesn't matter uh, whether I feel sexy or not. It doesn't matter if I feel beautiful or not. It doesn't matter how people respond. It doesn't matter. Even the clothes, like all of that is a, a, form, a function, a, a, a aspect of function. 
right? And so. I, I agree, but I think it's more in reverse. Like it, not that it doesn't matter if I'm sexy or not, but I'm sexy to me. Mm-hmm. I don't expect to be sexy to everybody in the world. I expect mm-hmm. that most people, I'm probably just another person. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm as common as any other. Does that make sense? It's not like, oh yeah, you know, this about this part of my body is special. It's just like, no, it's, it's a body. It's a body. <laughs> yeah. But I do feel sexy sometimes. I can tear up a room. When do you feel sexy? What makes you feel sexy? I look really cute right now and I should not. No. I don't know. It depends. It really depends. It can be... My husband used to always buy me lingerie and make me wear it. Really? Yeah. That made you feel sexy? All the time. Well, the way he was just like, if, I, if I'm coming home from work, I do not want you in regular clothes. Mm. It was always lingerie with him. That used to make me, and I still dress in lingerie. Mm-hmm. For myself. It makes me feel sexy. I like it. I heard that. These guys <laughs> wanted me to wear lingerie. And I'm like, if you buy it, I'll wear it. But I'm not going to go buy no fucking lingerie. I'll buy it for myself. I mean, he, he really had to get me into liking it because, like, you know, I still had the same relationship with my body. Like, oh, it's whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's going and he was just like, no, you have to see it. And you ha- look at this. Don't you look nice? And I'd be like, yeah, this does look cute. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't wear it for, for other dudes, though. What would you tell your little girl, your inner little girl, like little Joyce? Like lessons learned, experiences past, knowing what you know today. What, 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 what advice would you give her? Say how you feel. They gonna hate you anyway. Hmm. Talk more about that. Just like how as a younger person growing up in a hierarchical family, like a family where there is such imagined and real and earned hierarchy. Um, Children, no matter how gifted, no matter how right, were just silent. Mm-hmm. and it didn't matter how quiet I was I still got in trouble so mm-hmm. say what you want to say because people are going to hate you anyway mm-hmm. and for it's you your voice is power yeah I would have definitely started off using my voice much sooner than or more often than I use my, my pen mm-hmm. hmm write about a life that you're not really living I would have made myself live a very loud life it's so interesting because my perception of you and every time we talk about this like I, I like it's like a ah, in my head but <laughs> my perception of you is that that's who you've always been no and I get it you tell me that like <laughs> I you know when we have conversations you tell me about like when you first met me and I, how I talked about the women and my family. Um, but my perception of you is that you're like one of those women. No. 
No, I keep telling, I tell everybody, like, I started poetry and talking shit and stuff in my late 20s, but I was a whole different person. I grew up, I went to church seven days a week voluntarily. Voluntarily? I was a youth pastor, like a youth minister for young people. Wow. I grew up, I did not cuss. I did not drink. I did not, oh my God, no parties, no pants no earrings I grew up like no earrings no nothing no hostel huh yes hardcore the skirt people yes I was one of them skirt people girl there are pictures so I I wasn't I mean like I said you asked me about my world and I'm like yeah it's still growing like I'm still getting to know this person mm. my world mm-hmm. I'm still getting to know this person so this is why maybe there is duality why certain parts of me can seem so sultry mm. and at the same yeah that makes sense that makes sense what uh. <laughs> Where do you fare with uh, your religion and spirituality today? I'm fine with it. Not that you're fine with it, Joyce. Get on my nerves. You don't want to tell on yourself. No, um, no. I. Sorry, I am. Um... Jesus. Anyway, where do I fare? I mean, I'm not, I'm not for organized religion. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe in prayer. I believe in um, angels as ancestors. Mm-hmm. That you only get as much help as, as you give. Mm-hmm. Like you only get to give if you keep giving. Mm-hmm. That's it. Um, I don't know. I dip into a lot of things. I like um, I like Egyptology. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, but I don't go by anything. I do believe in God. Mm-hmm. You know, I do believe in God. I do love Jesus. So I know people who have like uh, it's interesting. I know people who maybe weren't even raised Christian or might be raised Christian, but you know, that their, their understanding of, oh, excuse me, their understanding of like the world and spirit and all that is like expanded beyond the church. And, but they have like very real affinities for Jesus. Like, I, I don't believe like Jesus like that. I, I, I believe that, uh, I believe in Jesus. Like I believe in Joyce. Like these are just names that we call like our highest selves, our goal. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? You should write, that should be a t-shirt. I believe in Jesus like I believe in Joyce. <laughs> that is a perfect t-shirt. <laughs> you gonna make it, Kairishi. You gonna make it. No, I feel you. Um, what, in terms of your book or your writing, what is... What is, what is a piece that you're waiting to create? Do you know? No, like, like working on? 
or like like you know something that you've always hungered to to do and you just haven't done it yet or you might be in process shit Tadahasi Coates said that he's he worked on the water dancer for like 10 years or something so, so you're talking about literature wise writing I, I just pulled that but like yeah no (laughs) nothing 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 pressing that i'm not already working on you know no what do you want what do you want to be remembered for i don't care i mean i'm gonna be forgotten eventually does it really matter why (laughs) why do you have to be forgotten because i'm assuming that eventually everybody will be forgotten Motherfuckers are still talking about Shakespeare today. I'm sorry. That's only that's only because he white, but whiteness is Actually, dying off. Actually, Shakespeare was black. He was light skinned. Probably me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I'm saying, now nah, Shakespeare was dope. But I'm saying, like, like some people will be forgotten, right? Like, some people don't have necessarily necessarily they don't necessarily have a legacy, but you're a writer. So to me, when you're writing, <laughs> there is something that will sustain beyond your physical presence on this earth. So I don't look look at you and assume that you're going to just die off in a generation or two. What do I want to be remembered for? I don't know. Being... Um, a helpful aunt. Um, I mean, I honestly don't care. <laughs> I think only thing that matters is what, like, what what I do with this with this life. That's it. I mean, that's the only thing I can really control. People gonna say what they gonna say anyway. What do you want to do with this life, Joyce? I feel like I'm doing it, you know? I'm hanging in when I need to hang in. I'm exploring when I need to explore, crying when I need to cry. Um, Trying to grow, we'll see. You're in such an interesting space right now. Am I? Mm -hmm, Because everything is just kind of like, I don't give a fuck, like it's just here. Is it? You know what? I did smoke a little weed, so I'm probably really relaxed. Is that what that is? Because I'm like, Joyce, you talk a lot. <laughs> I do care, though. I mean, I, I care about stuff here. Like, but I, I, I don't think people can control those things, like what you're remembered for. I don't think you can control it. You don't have to control it. That doesn't mean that that's not what you want. You want stuff you can't control? Me? Well, one, I don't know how much I don't have control, right? Like, I think that how you live, like, I think the things that I want to be remembered for, how I live my life. Um, I was telling my one of my mentors the other day um, that, you know, we always talk about, like, how ancestors live on. As long as you can say somebody's name, they continue to live on, right? And I, I believe that Kairishi will be spoken for generations to come, right? But, but I also think about, like... Um, the way that my my mentors will continue to live on because 
I took what they poured into me and I poured it into the young people that I work with, right? And I tell them like, this, this is a result of my mom. This is a result of the mothers, the, the mentors that I had that poured into me. Um, so this is the Kairisha you get and their works, their teachings, things live on like, and then my young people will pour into somebody else and it'll just continue. So I think that there are many ways that your legacy, excuse me, will live on. But I think that there, I'm, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm, gonna, I'm infamous. What do you mean? Like I'm an Aries. I'm going to live forever. Like everybody's going to know about Kairishi somehow. Whether that's artistic, well, I think artistically will be one of the ways. Um, but I also just think because of the love and the passion and the spirit I have, um, my, my primary purpose in life is to bring joy to the world. And I think that the joy that I bring is something that's memorable. And you're extremely communal, though. You know, it doesn't matter if you're communal or not. Like, people, we, we know artists who created a great work that we talk about, we celebrate. And they might, and some of them are, were, like, famous posthumously. However you, however you say that. After death, you know what I mean? No, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Yeah, I never really, I don't think about it. I guess maybe I haven't thought enough about it. I feel it. Um, what would you want? Um, I have two last questions for you. What would you tell? I see you trying to squeeze them 15 minutes out, Kyrisha. You know I'll confront you. <laughs> Keep talking. <laughs> I didn't even look at the time. I just like, oh, I know it's drawing near. Uh, but I was thinking what would you say to your mom like if you could go back when your mom was stressed out and cleaning and doing all that stuff what's a message as an adult woman today knowing what you know that you would say to your mom and then what would you share with girls today what would I say to my mother what advice what information would you like if we both saw each other as women or is she seeing me as a child? No, no, no. Outside of what, what she's seeing you as. Like if your Joyce today could give her uh-huh. a message, then Uh-oh. what would that message be? Doesn't have to be literal. Doesn't have to be something that's possible. That could uh-huh. actually happen. Hmm. Does that make sense? Hello. Can you hear me? Okay, now I can. Okay, if I'm Joyce today, it doesn't and have to be literal. So it doesn't have to okay. be something that is actually <laughs> possible, right? We can't go back in time. But Joyce, today, knowing what you know, the information you have, if you could go back in time and give her a message, what would that message be? Hmm. I don't know. I think it would be a question like, why aren't you talking about anything? Mm. It would probably be that, like for her to just question her her own voice. Like, why isn't it there? Oh yeah, that's right. I'm not talking about this. I'm thinking about it. Mm. I appreciate that. And then the last question is, what would you tell girls today? Black girls, like young Mm -hmm. black girls teenagers um dealing with the world that we have and you know challenges that they have like what would you tell them 
uh, hats off. I mean, I'm proud of the young young kids today. Um, they're so into their bodies and like so um, unafraid in a way that I believe our generation kind of grew up naturally afraid. Um, like, I don't know. I know a lot of young black girls still have it hard because we're young black girls, but um, I don't know, I'm real proud of them. I'm real proud of like this, this generation of young black girls. It seems like they really are trying to get it all. Like they're like, yeah, I'm gonna go, like there's no, it's okay to not be one kind of woman. Like they're existing in all of them. Whereas I believe in our generation, it was more pressed to be like one or the other or another, but it was only a selection of two or three boxes. These, these girls nowadays, they're like, no, I get to put whatever I want in my box or boxes or whatever you get what I'm saying. So I, I'm proud of this generation of girls. No, I feel that. I had this moment, uh, you know, when I was younger, there was, I had a lot of critique around like makeup. Um, because I saw it, women using makeup and young girls using makeup to cover themselves up, right? Like um, that they weren't doing it um, in celebration of self. It was like, I, I need to look better, right? And covering themselves up. So I had, you know, my own critique around makeup and the use of makeup for that reason. And um, used to like get on young girls' cases for wearing makeup, right? Ages you, all those different things. You used to? Mm -hmm. Oh. Mm -hmm. I mean, no, I'm 45. I've been working with young people for over 20 something years since I was like a kid. <laughs> since I was like, I started mentoring at like 16, 17, something like that. So I've, I've worked with young, young people for years. And through that time, I had critique um, for a long time about girls and makeup. And um, I had this, this experience when I was at McClyman's a couple of years ago, where I started to realize that their relationship to makeup and hair and things was very different, that it wasn't coming from this place of like, it's like art, it's like visual art. It's like, ooh, let me, let me beat my face. Like, let me, let me practice figuring out how to do this. And it was like this playful thing that they have access to that they could utilize when they want to hair was something they could utilize when they want to, right? Um, but it wasn't like, I don't like my own hair or I don't like my face or the way I look or I have most, I only really had maybe like one student, one, maybe two students who had to have makeup on, who felt like they had to have makeup on. The rest of them, it was just really kind of like play. Like sometimes I do, yeah. sometimes I don't. Like competitions with friends, like, ooh, look at that. Can, let me see if you could do these eyebrows like this. But it really was like, Let's watch YouTube tutorials and figure out how to do this thing. Not like. Definitely. No, it had nothing to do with uh, attention or being a, a pick me like they like to say. I remember when my, my niece, Gloria, she would watch me putting on makeup and then she would always want me to put her on some too. And 
And then she started really playing with it. Her mother, my sister would call me over to do her makeup and uh, Gloria would just sit and watch. And then when she got 13, she'd walk in and have this, I mean, her skin is already bronze. And then she'd have like a bronze going straight. I mean, and like saying cheek bone, no. <laughs> and I'd be like "Woo, buggy you know and I mean for her it was just really like I'm going to express myself in this Uh way and now she's like I don't wear makeup I don't wear makeup that was just something she wanted to play in while she was playing in I love that these girls have all of these categories that they just happily glide in and out of let me make wigs let me do yeah like um, yeah, I I agree. I agree with that. I love you, Joyce Lee. Mm-hmm. I love you too, Kairishi. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Sorry if my mood was a little too low. You're fine. It's not your you, you're you're just interesting today, but <laughs> it was beautiful. Uh, how can people find you if they want to? Right. Um, I am on uh instagram at uh fussbox f-u-s-s underscore b-o-x-x you can find me there so i'm on instagram and you offer writing workshops and things like that so people can hit you i do offer writing workshops i do offer writing workshops and people can hit me up um i want to talk to you after this Okay. all right that has been it thank you so much another episode of too much woman for this world stay tuned for next week's episode we are out